Take your Bibles now. Take your Bibles. Philippians, Philippians. I've got to keep going here. The announcements are so fun sometimes, aren't they? Okay, they're fun for me. Anyways, we're going to learn that from God's Word. Uh, I do want to encourage you guys that uh, May, we're still reading through the Scriptures. You're in the book of Matthew. Okay, you're in the book of Deuteronomy. If you haven't been reading through the Bible right now, it's not too late to start. You've got to get into God's Word and get into His presence, so grab one of these. I also ask you guys to participate with the school with uh, painting and tearing out stuff. If you haven't filled out one of these action surveys, this is so we can get your contact information, just your email, and say, hey, we're doing something. Now you know. Fill one of these out or email school at southbeachchurch.org. Let us know. I want to help. I want to be a part of this. Next time Luke does a slideshow, I want to be in some of those pics, man. That's, you know, I, want to, I want to be a part of the mission. And let us know. We'll get a hold of you. That's how it's going down. Let's read verse 12 through 15. This is Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. He loves them. He cares for them. He wants them to succeed in life. So he writes them a letter. It'd be like sending a text or a phone call to somebody these days. He says in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Let's pause one more time for prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, now illuminate your word to our hearts. Produce within us fruit. Lord, remove from us the flesh, the things that have grown over, Lord, and may we see what you see and do what you do and become more like you. We thank you, Jesus, for what you've done and what you're doing. Bless all our online community, Lord, and the community at large here in Newport and South Beach. We love them, Lord, because you first loved us. Lead us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Hey, check this out. Paul is in jail. He's been wrongly accused, and he's been attacked. And now he's awaiting to go before the council, before Caesar. And he's in a situation where things are unfair for him. It's not okay. He's been maligned and attacked. Let me ask a question. Have you guys ever been attacked before? Okay, me and this guy up front here. <laughs> Anybody else been attacked before? Anybody else been maligned? Man, it's so fun. You guys got to try it, man. You know, so, and when you're attacked and maligned and people come against you, you got a couple questions to ask yourself. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to respond? Am I going to get all sad? Am I going to get all dour? I'm going to go take my ball and go home. I'm not going to play with these people anymore. Is that how I'm going to respond? Or maybe you're like me at times when somebody throws mud at you and it hits you square in the pants and you're like, and you try and scrape it off and throw it right back at them. You ever done that before? And when you take the mud off your pants and throw it right back at them, not only do you have mud all over your hands, mud all over your pants, but you probably missed your target. There's mud on somebody else and you're in trouble now. My pastor taught me a saying. He says, when someone throws mud at you, don't touch it. Don't even touch it. Let it dry. Let it dry because once it dries, you can just brush it off. No big deal. Won't even leave a mark. You won't get mud on your hands. You won't get in trouble. This is what King David did throughout his ministry. When King David was attacked and maligned, even at the very beginning of his ministry, some guy's throwing rocks at him and yelling at him. And one of his right-hand commanders says, you want me to go take care of this guy? You want me to cut his head off? And David says, no, it's all good. Let it go. When David was in his kingdom and his, his son Absalom came against him, began to attack him, one of his right-hand guys says, you want me to take him? I said, no, I'm going to let God defend me. Let God be true and every man a liar. I, I don't know what God's doing. Let's, let's just see what God, when Saul would attack King David and he had an opportunity to kill Saul, it was right there and his men said, kill him, this is it. This guy's your evil enemy. He said, you know, 
I'm just going to let the Lord take care of it. For many reasons, David was a man after God's own heart. David had problems. David was a failure. He was a sinner. He was a work in progress, okay? Just like the 11 a.m. service. You guys know that? That's hilarious. <clears throat> and yet he was, his heart was soft toward the Lord. I want to be like that. Don't you want to be like that? So here's Paul. Here's Paul. He's in jail, and he's been wrongly accused. He's, been, he's on trial for something he didn't do, and he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write some letters. Who to? The government? The president? The people in charge? He's like, no, I'm going to write letters to my friends. I want to make sure that they're doing good. I want to make sure that they're cared for. See, the book of Philippians is primarily a pastoral encouragement letter. There's minor correction, exhortation, but it's primarily just encouragement to a church that was going through situations, would be persecuted, it wouldn't get easier for them, and so Paul writes to them this letter of encouragement, and let me help you guys to write down three, hopefully you're a note taker, there's some sermon notes there in your seat back, you can write these down. This is what Paul did when he was misunderstood, and he was going through it, he did three things I want to do every time I get challenged. First thing I want to do is I want to trust the Lord, just trust the Lord. When we get fired up, when we get anxious, when we get mad, when we get sad, when we get proud, when we get these things, it's indicative of the fact that you're not in that moment trusting the Lord. Your trust is placed elsewhere. You know what Paul said in Philippians 1, 6 here? He said, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Paul starts out this letter from jail. He's like, dude, I'm not even worried. If God's here, we good. He started it. He's going to finish it. Nothing can stop him. Paul, you're in jail. Paul, Caesar Nero's going to kill you. I don't care. God's going to finish what he began. He had confidence. And let me just ask you this question. Do you have that same confidence that what God began, he's going to be able to finish in your marriage? In your parenting? Don't raise your hands. But how many of you guys have raised kids, taught them some verses, loved on them as hard as you could, set them up for success? And now they just crash their lives. And they're like, whoa, no. Don't give up. Don't give up being confident of this very thing. God's not done yet. God's gonna have his way. Keep praying, keep smiling. Don't give up. Every single man and woman in the scriptures was given promises of God, leadership from God, and then was tested by God. Every single one. Moses, Joseph, Daniel, Nehemiah, Esther, Ruth. You go through the list. Every single one was chosen by God to lead the cause, and all of a sudden, boom, got smacked in the head. Arrested, maligned, mistreated, deserted. And these men and women, like you, had a choice to say, I wonder if God's going to be faithful. I'll tell you what, I'm just one man up on stage right now. But when I get tested, and when I come up against situations, and when I find myself doubting based on variables outside of my control, I have the same choice that you do, which is to trust in him. Because life will be a series of this question over and over and over and over again. Let's just pray that we finally respond to the next trial. God's going to work it out. God's going to work it out instead of getting freaked out. Number one that Paul did, he trusted in the Lord. Number two, he poured into others. You want to redeem the time you're going through right now? Not just trust the Lord. How many of you guys trust the Lord? Well, but I guess I'm going to trust the Lord see what he does you know Paul trusted the Lord and then he got to work began to pray for and minister to the people right next to him his this will change your life because we can we can discern the problems it's not hard you don't need to be that smart but you got to make a decision 
to not stay there. This is what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. We studied it about six months ago. It says, but if I live in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Listen, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Stop right there, eyes up here. Paul says, I'm in trouble right now. I trust God. Paul says, I'd rather go home right now, but you know why I'm here? For you. While I'm here in the flesh, guess what's going to come from my life? Fruit. I'm going to do stuff. Paul, you're in jail. I already told you that, bro. You're going to die. Paul didn't care. His main desire was to go to Rome because if he could get the gospel to Rome, he could go to everywhere. All roads lead to Rome. All roads lead from Rome. And in his situation, do this for me, would you? Don't just look at your own stuff. I've said this before. You got suffering in your life? I don't want to I don't want to pretend you don't. You do. I'm going to say it though. You don't have Paul suffering. You got suffering. You might have a disease right now. You might have loss. I've got funerals lined up this week. I had funerals last week. I did a memorial last night for the fishermen in our community. There's loss. There's difficulty. There's pain. I understand that. And Paul here, in his difficulty, pain, and loss, he had given up more than anybody. He calculated out. He said, oh, by the way, I, I, I'm not boasting. I'm just saying I've lost more than anybody. What are you doing, Paul? Well, in my final days, I would like to impact as many people as possible. Whoa. His desire was to produce fruit. Guys, if you're going through a situation right now, number one, trust in the Lord. It's so fun to trust in the Lord. How's he going to do it? He's not going to tell you how he's going to do it. Have you figured this one out? He's not going to tell you. He's not going to tell you. He's, not, he's also not going to consult you. Hey, Luke, I got a couple of ideas I want to run by you today. I know you got some problems. I got a couple. I just want to see if you're okay. He's not going to do that. And I'm so glad for that. He's not going to tell you. He's not going to run up by you. He's just going to be God. And you're going to bow down and worship. What's he want you to do? He wants you to serve other people. Man. Redeem the situation you're in, the pain you're in. Check this out. Let's take one more principle before we get into the text. Not only does he trust the Lord that gives peace, not only does he pour into others that gives purpose, but he learns something, principle number three, while going through the fire. We're not there yet, but in Philippians chapter three, Paul will say, hey, not that I've attained it or have achieved it. I'm not where I want to be. I'm glad I'm not where I used to be, but I'm definitely not where I'm going to be. And Paul, in the midst of his incarceration, his trouble, he's like, you know what I want to do here? Not just trust the Lord, not just pour into others, but I want to be a student still. This will change your whole perspective. Can you imagine if you woke up, hopefully you're awake right now, can you imagine if you were sitting here right now and said, Lord, is there anything I can learn from my present situation, from my divorce, from my singleness, from my cancer, from my bankruptcy, from my joblessness, from my oppression, my depression, my... my Compression, if you have compression, I don't know what that is. From all my stuff, what if you just, my pastor taught me, he's, I'm so thankful for Mark Anderson, taught me so many things. One of the things he taught me, he said, Luke, if you're ever going through something, you ever criticized, if something's ever going on, he said, look for the 5%, 2%, 1%, whatever, of truth within that, that situation. There's something you can learn. Even if somebody doesn't understand you, somebody maligns you, somebody attacks you, and you're completely innocent, it's happened before, a couple times, not every time, a couple times, and my pastor just said, hey, learn something, though. Did you come forward? Don't just defend yourself. Learn something. Wouldn't it be radical if we just remembered that we're students? 
already mentioned this earlier in my opening statements, but your problem you're dealing with right now isn't really your problem, it's your solution. God brought these things that you're dealing with, everything you're dealing with, into your life, and they're designed to make you a better man or woman. I shared with one of our staff members an illustration of a cup of water that's completely clear. You've heard this illustration, maybe. And this cup of water is completely clear. It's just perfect to drink. And at the bottom of the water, though, there's some mud that's settled. It's real down there. You can't really see it. It's not a big deal. The mud's there. And if you take a spoon and put it in that clear crystal water and start to stir it up, it's like Nestle Quick, you know, just kind of, whoa, what the heck happened? And all of a sudden, that clear water becomes muddy water. What changed? Well, a spoon came in and started stirring everything up. And sometimes in life, a spoon comes into your life and stirs you up. It's called your spouse. It's not even funny. It's hilarious. And you all get all stirred up by your kids and by your spouse and by your government and stirred up. And how many times have you been mad at the spoon? Man, what are you doing? You're messing with me. And God says, oh, this, the spoon's just an instrument to reveal what's going on in your heart. All that stuff was already there. Now we just know it. Now we just see it. Your problem's not your problem. Your problem, the spoon, is a solution. It's an instrument of God's grace in your life to break you one more time and to extract that stuff that still remains as he moves you from glory to glory to greater glory even as we keep looking to Jesus. This is so fun when you figure this out in your life that you continue to let the things in your life produce more fruit for God's glory and for others' good. So here's what Paul does. He loves people. He's in jail. He loves them so much that instead of trying to solve his problem, he writes a letter to his friends so they can do well, and he points them to Jesus. Stop right there, and Isaac Pierre, I just want to say that one more time. Say it differently. I don't know what capacity you're leading right now. You're all leaders. Somebody's looking to you. And it's, it's, it's a weight of leadership, isn't it? To be a mom or to be a dad, to be a business owner, to be a coach, to be an older brother or sister. In my flesh, I don't really want to be a leader. It's a lot easier just to be led or to have somebody else feed me. I don't want to do anything. And yet the Lord says, no, you are a leader because you're made in my image. And what he wants us to do, instead of fixing our problems, he wants us to lead well through our problems and when your problems are compounded, did you know you have a greater capacity of influence on others? Because they're looking at you and the situation you're dealing with and your voice now has more credentials, more depth when you're going through something and you speak life instead of hate. And you speak love and you speak purpose. People are looking, I say, I should say people are listening right now for voices to lead them. So Paul, in the midst of it, can you imagine getting a letter from Paul? Paul wrote a letter, Paul wrote a letter. Oh, what's he need? It's not about him. What? He's encouraging us. What? How does he do so? Look at verse 12 again. Therefore. Therefore is therefore a reason. You guys learned this already? It's therefore a reason. It's therefore to connect from the previous text. The previous text, verses 5 through 12, are all about Jesus Christ. Paul, in the midst of his jail, says, like, hey, I just want to point you guys back to Jesus. Is that okay with you? And he points them to Jesus. Have you ever been around the person that always wants to talk about Jesus? Okay, you ever been around that person? They're so awesome. But if you're not in the mood for it, it's kind of like, again? Wow, we're praying again? We're watching football, we're praying again? You know, what are, what are we doing? You ever been around this person that always wants to talk about Jesus? Let me ask you a different question. You don't have to answer, but have you ever been the person that always wants to talk about Jesus? Let me ask you a different question. Do you want to be the person that always 
wants to talk about Jesus. I do. Here's Paul. He's like, hey, I know I'm in jail. I know you guys are suffering. Want to talk about Jesus? And in your flesh, man, don't be all pious and prideful and religious out there. Like, dude, I'm not like that all the time. Sometimes I want to talk about the politics. Sometimes I want to talk about the weather. Sometimes I want to talk about that person or my neighbor. I want to talk about them. And Paul's like, let's talk about Jesus. He's just like, let's talk about Jesus. And I want to be just like Paul. I want to have my heart soft, not hardened. I don't want to grab the mud on my pants and toss it back. So he says, therefore, he's talking about Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. And I would encourage you, if you want to talk about Jesus, spend more time in his word, spend more time with his people, spend more time connecting to his spirit. As a matter of fact, I think this is very important because some of you guys are going to come here, you're going to hear Pastor Luke talk about Jesus, you're going to see a sign on the back that says Jesus, you're going to go over there and buy a shirt, and a lot of them say Jesus, and it's all about Jesus, but you would be honest in your life to say, well, I don't know how they do that. Jesus isn't really that important to me all day long. He's my savior. When I die, I'm going to be with him, but... Every single day is just not the most important thing to me. I remember listening to John Corson teach Bible studies back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And every time John Corson would teach a Bible study, and towards the end, no matter what portion of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, no matter where he was at, he would bring us back to, guess what? Jesus and the gospel. And as a young, up-and-coming Bible teacher, I was like, this portion of Scripture is not even about Jesus. How's he doing that? How's he? And, I, and I, I wanted to be that guy. How can I make this about Jesus? How can we bring it back to Jesus? And can I encourage you, if that's not where you're at right now, just make it your life's goal. Spend more time in his word, more time with his people, more time connecting with his spirit. You won't do it perfectly. John doesn't either, nor will I. But we can do it progressively, where we pray, we conclude, we come back to Jesus. So here's Paul encouraging the church at Philippi. He's like, look, let's just spend some time talking about Jesus. Then he makes the application, and he talks about what Jesus did. Look at verse 12. Therefore, and it's all because of Jesus, therefore is that reason, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let me just make more two more comments about Jesus. Paul makes this great connection to Jesus for two main reasons. What Jesus did and who Jesus is has a lot of descriptions and implications. I'll give you two. Okay, number one, Jesus and everything he did was a gift to us, right? I'd, I'd say actually primarily, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ was a gift to this world like none other. Nothing can replicate that. Nothing can supersede that. Nothing can replace that. It's the greatest gift ever, Okay. And once you understand that, like, ooh, that kind of puts everything else under perspective. Like, ah, I got Jesus. Not only was it a gift to us, listen, it was an example for us. This is where the challenge comes. And I'm, I'm leading you guys up to verse 12 before I slap you in the face. It's going to be awesome. Okay. In love, in love, in love. Jesus is a gift to you, praise God, but he's an example for you. See, some people just receive the gift. Hey, Jesus, that was awesome. Appreciate you doing that. See ya. But Paul's like, no, I want you to then do what Jesus did. So I can save myself? No. So I can save others? No. So I can be like Jesus in my salvatory work? No. But so I can live like Jesus did because it's the right way to live. Jesus sets an example for you and me. If you want to know what life should be like, you want to know how you should respond to your enemies, how you should respond to your friends, how you should respond to the kingdom of God, what you should live like, okay, just look at Jesus. It's a pretty high, high order, isn't it? but he did the work for you, the work you could never do. Listen, so then you could then do the work that only you can do, which is what he says in verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Get after it now. 
Because Jesus did what you can't do, now you do what only you can do. This is Christianity 101. Don't start without looking at Jesus first and freaking out and falling to your knees and receiving forgiveness and grace and mercy and open love and all the things that he downloads for you. Do not stop there, though. Rise up, Christian, and then work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He set an example. It's a gift to you. It's an example for you. And he wants us, like Jesus, to be servants in our leadership. He wants us to grow in humility. He wants us to continue moving forward. He wants us to serve others. He wants us to hang out with lepers and people more unfortunate than us and forgive the broken. He wants us to be like him. Let's, I, I told you guys we were only getting to verse 15. I knew it. I knew it. Look at verse 12, though. Let's find a bunch of points out of here. It says, therefore, my beloved. I like how Paul calls him my beloved. The word here is Greek, it's agapetos. It means one who's highly loved. The first time we see this word mentioned in the New Testament is from God the Father toward Jesus Christ in Matthew 3, 17 when Jesus is baptized and brought up out of the water and the Father from above says, this is my son, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Stop right there, eyes up here. Paul says that to the church at Philippi. He says, guys, I love you. I love you. I'm going to tell you to do something. It's because I love you. Your mom or dad ever used that one with you? Why, why are you being so mean? Because I love you, you know. And it's true. Because God loves us, he calls us beyond ourselves. But he uses this term of endearment. I'm going to call it a nickname. Because he wants to communicate his deep love for people. Because if you don't know God's love for you and he asks you to leave something of this world, to repent of something, to wrestle with something, if you don't know God's love, you're going to wrestle with that directive. You're going to wrestle with obedience. You're going to wrestle with identity. Let me say it this way before I forget it. God loves you, listen, and he likes you. We use that language at our house. We say, every one of us say it to each other. Hey, I love you, and I like you. Because you guys know the difference, right? I mean, the Bible says you're, you're commanded to love your enemies. It doesn't say you have to like them. You've got to love everybody, right? But did you know that God loves you and he likes you? He likes you. I can't speak for you, but we all have various levels of insecurity and self-doubt, and even some of us struggle with self-hatred. And we, oh, yeah, of course God loves me. He has to. It's his job. He actually likes you. He wants you to grow. This is a deep commitment. And so he says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation. Stop right there. Paul's not there to hold them accountable. And so he's saying to them, guys, when I was there, you guys were obedient. You were you know, awesome churchgoers. I'm not there anymore, so I want you to keep doing it. Not even less, but more. This is so principally elementary. It's easy to do good when your supervisor's watching you, isn't it? I mean, you're like, I'm the best because someone's watching you. What he's asking for is a deeper level of maturity that nobody's watching and you're growing in character. You're growing in maturity. You're growing in integrity. You're growing in purpose and value. And I'm not sure where you are on the spectrum of your journey of Jesus, but when you get to that place where it doesn't matter who sees or, or how you get rewarded, but it's motivated out of love, I just love God. I don't care if anybody sees. Because you've been that person in your life where like nobody's watching, you're like, Sweet. You start to do silly stuff. Who's laughing? You, you know. What are you talking about? You guys are, oh, not me, Pastor Luke. You're right, dude. And I got three kids. There's two in the back, one upstairs. And as I raise my kids, okay, we're trying to teach them this accountability, self-government, body, mind, and spirit. 
We try and teach them to take care of their bodies physically. We've got some workout equipment at our house. We, we, primarily, we have to encourage them to use that okay, until one day they realize, I need to do this for myself. Okay? For their minds, educationally, my wife is the primary educator at our house. We homeschool our kids. When I say we, I just pay for it. She does all the work. Okay? She's the educator, and we teach our kids to learn. But if they didn't get taught to learn, they probably wouldn't learn the same way until they get to that point in their life to say, I want to learn. And not just body, mind, but their spirits. All our kids have Bibles. They read them every single morning and they dedicate themselves to this. This is practices that we've done together and we've asked them to grow in. And when my kids move out of the house, when they go into college, when they go into their life, my prayers is the body, mind, spirit. They'll say, you know what? I want to do these things. Not because my dad's here, not because my mom's here, not because I'm going to get in trouble. But love compels me. As a matter of fact, it says this in 2 Corinthians 5, if you're still tracking or taking notes, write this down. It says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, for all, then all died, and he died for all. Listen, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Love compels me because I know Jesus died for me. I'm going to get after it. This is going to change everything, not when you know you're being investigated, not when you know there's going to be a test, but when you rise up and you seek the Lord. You don't do those silly things, and you do it because you love God, and he loves you, and he likes you, and you get to please him in this way. Paul says it this way. I'm your pastor. I'm not there, so you guys, why don't you just please do the right thing? Even though I'm not there, this is true growth and maturity. Then he goes on in verse 12 to tell them what to do. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now go ahead and uh, let's just extract this verse. Fear and trembling means awe and respect reverence the bible says that the fear of man is a anybody who's someone a snare not like the snare in the drum cage you know not like that it's a trap why don't you guys know that verse let's do it again the fear of man is a snare trap whatever yeah it's a trap oh man hopefully the 11 a.m service is watching they're gonna come in and they'll know that one Y'all want to be brilliant, stick around for the next service. Like, stare, you know. <laughs> the fear of man. That means to care about what other people think. It's actually a trap. It's going to get you. But the fear of the Lord, I'll just help you guys out now, is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Paul says this. He says, hey, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I mean, freak out with me just a little bit. What, mo- love motivates us, but do you understand who God is? Do you understand who you are in light of who God is? I mean, are, are you serious? You should be in that utmost of awe and respect in the fear of the Lord, not caring what the, those people or that person or the other people think of you. That's a snare. Man, I'm sure hope these people like me. Man, I'm sure hope these people accept me. You know what you need to worry about is if God likes you and accepts you. That will lead to a life of wisdom. Everything you do will make sense. And when you do, it'll motivate you. He loves you. And what Paul's specifically saying, put the tracks in front of us, two tracks, both in opposition, seemingly to each other. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I'm going to teach you guys something because we're running out of time here. Every theological truth that God's present to us in his word, I've taught you this already, there's two ditches on either side of the truth. The road is where we want to stay. Four-wheel drive. You know, stay out of the ditches. One ditch is the ditch of excess, where God gives the truth, and you're just going to abuse that truth. You're going to become a weirdo, and you're going to read that verse in five different languages, and you're going to be married. Then there's the other ditch where you're going to read the verse and say, well, that's good for some other people, but not me, and you're going to neglect that verse. 
This verse right here is one that people neglect or abuse. And it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Those who abuse it, say in order, they say you actually are going to have to work to be saved. How many of you guys have a, a translation that says you have to work to be saved? Waiting. Wait. Nobody. Because it says work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. Let's just make sure we understand that. You can't work for your salvation. You can't do anything to save yourself. Can you imagine if you were drowning in the ocean or in a pool? Oh, I'm drowning. And the lifeguard shows up to save you. Like, all right, lifeguard, what's the plan? What's my part in the whole deal? It's like, you be quiet and shut up, dude. Let's go. They rescue you. You got nothing to offer. You can't save yourself. There are people out there who think you can. They're legalists. They're ones that put pressure on themselves and others. And it's the ditch of excess. There's another ditch, though. I think most of Christian churches in that ditch over here, and it's the ditch of neglect where God says, hey, work out your salvation now with fear and trembling. Well, I'm saved, aren't I? Yeah, absolutely saved. By grace and not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's a gift of God. He's given it to you, Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. What's verse 10 say though, Pastor Luke? Pastor Luke says, and you were saved for good works, which he preordained for you to walk in. He wants you to get after it. And you're saved not by your efforts, but you're saved in order to then work out your salvation. And there are so many people in the Christian church that are so grateful you're saved. Are you guys grateful you're saved? Anybody here grateful you're saved? I'm so grateful I'm saved. Woo! Fired up. And you're just plopped down on your blessed assurance. Woo! Just waiting for the rapture. Woo! Just waiting for something to happen. Woo! Waiting for somebody else to do something. Woo! And the Lord says, get up. Advance. Don't retreat. Take the ground. Press in. Grow in maturity. Grow in integrity. Grow in character. Grow in love. Grow in the service. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I've got some stories. I've got some things, illustrations. Years and years ago, I was with a group of people. And I remember one particular person said, you know what? I believe that Jesus Christ died for all my sins, past, present, and future. And so what I'm going to do is cash that check and live the life I want to live and spend every bit of that grace on silliness, foolishness, and rebellion. Now, I was living a life apart from God at that point in my life, but I knew it was the wrong thing. And this person said, I'm saved by grace, not of works. Woo, free ride. Eh, you in the ditch. And so many Christians today, listen, I'm not trying to be mean to you. I told you I was going to punch you in the face. This is because I love you. Paul says, hey, in my absence, I'm not there. Can you guys get after it a little bit? Can you work out your salvation with fear and trembling? This is an exhortation because he knows that the trajectory of life is to take the pathway of least resistance. I'm not really going to press in. I'm not really going to go further. I'm not going to carve out time for the Lord. I'm not going to do these things unless somebody asks me to, exhorts me to, challenges me to, invites me to. And Paul says, you guys have to work out your salvation. I want to underscore again this other ditch. He didn't say you have to work for it. If you are saved, you're saved by grace and grace alone. But now God has given to you a gold mine. Can you imagine if you were gifted a gold mine? Here's a gold mine. Here's the rights. Sign right here. It's yours. Woohoo! How much gold do you have? None. Why not? Well, it's in the mine. You got to go get it. Well, I was kind of hoping it would just jump out of the mine. Just jump out. <laughs> oh, dude. How much gold do you want? I don't know. A little bit. It's your choice. How much are you going to press into the things of God? I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm trying to get on the road. Soon this life will pass, and only things done for Christ will last. And it's in, with each, it's in within each of us 
not to naturally do more, but to do less. Guys, the things that I believe God would have you to work on aren't necessarily, at least not for all of us, external things, but they're character things for his glory, for others' good, that he would have us to grow in character and humility and in compassion and in serving and in loving, not being lazy, not being passive, not being unengaged. Notice what he says in verse 12. We're going to get to verse 13, 14, 15 quickly, I promise. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out. Whose who's salvation? Your own. Don't work out my salvation. Leave me alone, right? Right? Work out your salvation. Jesus said it's very tempting to pick on the brother in his speck in his eye when you have a log in your own eye. He did give us some optimism. He said, if you deal with the log in your own eye, you know, maybe then you can help your brother. Work out your own salvation. It's so easy to, to look at other people. It's so, by and large, what a waste of time. Okay, work on your own salvation. And if you spend as much time worrying about what others think about you as you spent working on yourself, you wouldn't have to worry about what people think about you. Which, by the way, people aren't thinking about you. Did you know everyone else is thinking about what you're thinking about what they're thinking about? And you're thinking about what are they thinking about. They're thinking about what you're thinking about. And nobody's thinking about you, and you're thinking about what they're thinking about you, but they're thinking about what you're thinking about them. Something to think about. (laughs) Right? Wow. I think I actually said that right. I think that came out right. Guys, let's, uh, let's tie this up even tighter. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. What? This is so cool. Paul says, hey guys, get after it. Stay on the road. Work it out. Oh, by the way, it's God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. What? This is kind of the opposite of what he just said. Get after it. Work it out. Oh, by the way, it's actually God working in you to will and to do. (laughs) God saved you. wasn't you. He wants you to get after it. Oh, by the way, when you get after it, it's because he's getting after it in you. It's all God. He does it all. And within this, Paul brings up two contrasting theologies I'll briefly point to. One is Arminianism, one is Calvinism. Arminianism basically teaches that it's all up to you and there's nothing much God can do. He's just kind of watching. He's a bystander. He's freaking out. He doesn't really have any impact on you. Eh, Not true, too far, in the ditch, wrong. Then there's Calvinism that basically essentially teaches that it's all up to you or it's all up to God and that God's gonna do everything and you really have no choice over it. There's grace that's irresistible and you're gonna have everything done for you because God won't fail in your life in that way with or without your participation and i think that's too far but what we see here is in the middle god says hey i want you to work it out by the way i'm going to work it in it's kind of like two pedals on a bike you ever ridden a bike with one pedal (laughs) have you it doesn't work you're like you know i did it one time my bike pedal fell off it's like okay you're not riding a bike anymore you're doing something else you got to work it out god's going to work it in I got to work it out. God's going to work it in. I got to work it out. Which one is it? It's both. It's both. There are people who try and figure this out. Well, which one is it? The answer is yes. Okay. Is God going to do it for me? Yeah, that's good news. You mean, do I have to do it myself? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And when we get to heaven, he'll explain it all. Right now, though, he tells us, get after it. I want you to see in verse 13 something very near and dear to my heart. Oh, my gosh, we're almost out of time. Don't look at the clock. It says, for it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. A couple things. Number one, God will change your will. This is great news for you. Hey, if you're struggling with something right now, you got an issue, sin, character flaw, something that's just plaguing you, 
as you continue to seek the Lord and work out your salvation, he will change your will. There'll be a point in your life where you won't want to go there. You won't want to do that thing. You won't want to look at that stuff anymore. You won't want to say those things. Your will will change. And if you've been walking with the Lord for five years, 10 years, 20 years, or 30 years, you've seen him change your desires. It's one of the most glorious experiences you'll ever have. When you wake up, you're like, I don't want to do that anymore. I used to live for that. I used to be the king of that. I used to be the leader of that. And the Lord has changed your will. It's him who works in you both to will and to do. It's him who gives you the power to overcome for his good pleasure. He loves you and he likes you. Verse 14, he says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Stop right there, eyes up here. What's he talking about? We're gonna start here next week. Paul's talking about big ideas, salvation and working, getting after it. He says, oh, by the way, quit complaining about everything. The very first application or illustration that Paul gives to us, he says, stop grumbling, stop disputing, stop complaining. He goes on in the next verse, verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. There's so much here. We're gonna have to pick it up next week, but I want you to chew on this as you go out into the world this day and in this week and in this month and in this life and you're changed from here on out moving forward. Look at Jesus. His example, oh my gosh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. His gift, it's for you. Therefore, therefore, work out your salvation now, fear and trembling. Okay, get after it. There's gonna be some work. Specifically what, Paul? Quit being a grumbler. Quit being a whisperer. Quit being a complainer. Quit being negative. Quit being an American in that way. Have you seen that this is the great American pastime? complain about somebody, identify some fault, some shallowness. It is so easy. Listen, do you want to know where complaining, grumbling, murmuring, and arguing come from? Starts with S, rhymes with Satan. <laughs> Satan. It's satanic to be a grumbler, a whisperer, a backbiter, a complainer, a murmur. Satanic. Genesis 3. The very first murmuring, the very first disputing, the very first complaining, the very first arguing is from Satan himself to Eve about God and what he has set up. And I just say that, I'm going to say it again next week, don't skip church or I'm going to complain about it. <laughs> Guys, this is crazy. This is some pretty heavy stuff. Work out your salvation, this is a big deal. Primarily what, Paul? Quit complaining. Yeah, but did you see? Yeah, of course. I, I'm in jail, bro. I think I know. And guess what complaining gets you? Nothing. What did, what did Paul do? He trusted in God. He poured into others, and he decided to learn something. Did that change his circumstances? His head's going to be cut off his head. Head cut off his head. His head's cut off his body. He's going to die. It didn't change his circumstances. We're so entitled that I'm going to, I mean, if I'm going to call somebody. Somebody's going to hear about this. Tell somebody about something. Somebody better hear this stuff. <laughs> I'm so glad that I don't have a chance to really teach this verse because I kind of want to build a whole sermon around it next week. I'm serious. James tells us that the tongue is set on fire by hell itself and it's impossible to tame. Okay? Your tongue has the power of life and your choice. Most of you guys who are here, you have changed your lifestyle and your 
not doing certain things you used to do before you met Christ. Good job. But you're still loose with your tongue. Spewing. Just normal stuff. This is normal. It's so easy. Someone complains. Yeah, yeah. And Paul says right here, do you want to be a light in a crooked and dark world? Don't be like the world. Somebody complains about the government. Yeah, could be worse. There's a lot of other countries out there that don't even have a government. Gas prices are so high. Yeah, I know, it's crazy. Could be worse. Did you notice that the people pumping gas are wearing rain gear 700 days out of the year? (laughs) To pump your gas for you. Isn't that crazy? Such a blessing. I just, I pull up, I give them a card, pump some gas, and they put gas in my car. So grateful. Yeah, but I'm so expensive. I'm so grateful. It's your choice. Complain about the government, complain about this and that. I can't speak for you, but I have more blessings in my life that if I start to complain about anything, okay, I become offensive to my Savior. I have nothing to complain about. Not a thing. Turn your complaints into supplications into prayers, cast your burdens on the Lord. This is so radical. Would you chew on this with me all week long? I would love, I would expect Paul in verse 14 to put something radical in there, talking about working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, Paul's gonna give us a big one. What's the biggest thing we need to work on? Stop being satanic. Oh, thanks, Paul. Let's pray. Lord, in Jesus' name, I ask that you would give us a burden to be the most spiritual people we can be this week in Jesus' name, beginning with our tongues, so that we would be a light in this dark world. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, maybe you would join me, I'm going to let you receive this if you want it. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name you would convict us deeply when we're using our tongue foolishly when we're cutting people down, when we're being silly, when we're not speaking life but speaking death. In Jesus' name, would you convict us and would you make us men and women, Lord, of life? Lord, there's something very perverse in our nature, very perverse in our culture that says it's fun to make fun of people, it's fun to complain, it's fun to be negative, let's just keep doing it. Jesus wouldn't, Paul wouldn't. And so I just repent. Maybe you're with me. I'm going to close my eyes now because I don't want to see. Maybe you're with me and you would need to repent of really not caring about your tongue. You don't do drugs. You don't look at porn. You don't get violent. You're not getting drunk. You're not doing all these things that are obviously against God's will, but you're loose with your tongue. You're not a light in a dark world. And today you would say, I repent. Would you just raise up your hand right now if you need to repent of letting silly stuff come out of your tongue, being a negative Nancy? being somebody who wants to just complain about things. My hand is up by way of example. Lord, I'm so sorry. Lord, I give myself so much excuses in the way I lead my family and talk to my wife and talk to my kids and talk to my staff and talk to my friends. I repent and I pray in Jesus' name. I'm raising up my other hand now. Lord, that you would convict me with your Holy Spirit. If you want the conviction of the Holy Spirit this week and the help from God to do these things, raise up your other hand. Just say, yeah, Lord, I surrender to you. Forgive me for not being a light. Sure, I'm abstaining from a lot of big things. Duh. But Lord, I just fit right into this world. I'm so, so sorry. 
Make us more like you. Help us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Put your hands down, please. And Lord, in Jesus' name, as we go our way, now prompt us, Lord, and lead us and convict us. Give us, Lord, strong hands this week to get the school ready Monday through Friday. Lord, I'm just committing to it. I pray in Jesus' name, nine to four, if I didn't say that already, we're gonna be there working and that you would, Lord, honor that work and bless us, bless all the other events that happen here. We love you so much. We give our lives to you. Lord, may you take care of the moms today. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said... Amen and amen. I love you guys. God bless you. Get out of here. The 11 a.m. is coming in hot. Take some flowers for your mom. Make sure and be nice to everybody. And take your thoughts captive to the Lord for his glory and for the obedience that he's given to you. I love you guys. God bless you. You're dismissed.